Creek with Podcast, where your local supernatural veterans and finale deniers watch the Winchesters. My name is Abigail, and my pronouns are they, them. My name is Beth, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is KJ, and my pronouns are she, they. And this week, we are talking about season one, episode five? Six. Six? Episode six. <laughs> we know what we're talking about. <laughs> season one, episode six, The Art of Dying. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are back, baby. Yeah, this episode is so much better than last week's. This episode, like we all know, we like last week, so we were all kind of like, eh, "What's happening here?" This one, this is good. I this was great. They really pulled it back. My notes are bad because this episode was so good. <laughs> my my actual like working theory right now is that one hundred and five was either written out of order or something because it's just it uh, you don't this episode episode six feels like it comes right after episode four and even like the some of the dialogue in it see like when mary references back to episode four maybe they it feels like it's right around yeah i was thinking I, the same thing like. because the, one of the things that bothered me so much about last episode was that it felt clunky like it didn't feel like they had a good rapport and like this episode feels like They're it's all back. so cohesive and like they play off each other amazingly and I just everyone's think maybe, dynamics are what we've grown to love yeah and so I'm thinking that maybe 105 was shot like first after the pilot maybe and then that would explain why it feels a little bit clunky compared to like this episode which just yeah. felt so cohesive yeah it feels like they didn't know last episode what the character dynamics were and they do and they feel like they do and it's consistent and it's consistent with what they've been developing since like particularly since 103 and 104 Mm -hmm. yeah no I fully agree does anyone have somewhere they would really like to like jump in with yes I do yes excellent (laughs) I want to talk about I love that you always have something KJ I want to talk about the voiceovers Oh, oh yes, okay. Okay. Yes, we have so we get two this week. Two this week. Ah, um, so many to say about this. <laughs> this is the first time in a few weeks that I don't feel like Dean Winchester's lying to me in the voiceovers. Like this is the oh. first time it feels like he's honest. Like there's been a couple where I've been like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Letting go of your trauma. You've never done that once in your entire life, Dean Winchester. This one felt real." <laughs> yeah well the whole like hunting has a way of changing a person like this one mm-hmm. was so much about like both the, the front and the end one were both about like the fact that hunting is morally ambiguous mm-hmm. yeah and I think that is really fitting for where this show is maybe going someone on twitter um heller trash on twitter had this thread about hearing about like the difference between the the voiceover Dean that we have been hearing and the pilot episode Dean that we saw, like the one time we've seen Dean and about some of the kind of differences between those two and almost wondering if those two are different points in the story. Like we see, this person has pointed out that we see pilot Dean, you know, writing in his journal. He looks unhappy, unsettled. Whereas voiceover Dean has very much like a hand, seems to have a handle on the whole narrative and seems to be speaking to us from the end of the story. Mm. And I think that's like really interesting. Like he, he knows where this story is going. And I got that impression really strongly this week, particularly. Like, I think he knows where the story ends and he's interpreting it for us. Whereas I'm not sure that the Dean we saw in the pilot, I think he was still mid trying to figure it out. Yeah. I think that's maybe why I've been struggling with the voiceovers. Like I, I think I I know (laughs) 
Naomi Beth has had this thing as well with like the voiceovers don't really sound like Dean, they sound like Jensen. And yeah. I think that's why I'm struggling because the <laughs> yeah. the Dean that we see, that we have our eyes on in the pilot, he's sad. Like he's alone and he's got like got Melancholy. the and the cooler and the car, but like he's alone in that car and like just see, I got sad vibes. Like everything's not okay for 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 that. Dean. But all these voiceovers are like life lessons that I'm passing on to somebody like do you know what's really funny is that like that whole point about oh it doesn't sound like Dean and I think it's because it's not Dean as we know him like it's not Dean where we left him off it is like it's not like at any point in the timeline like I can't place him it's yeah it's a Dean who has grown beyond the timeline that we understood him in and yeah and it's it's much more reflective the voiceovers and I think maybe that is yeah. why he sounds like he's you know like we don't recognize this character the Dean Winchester that we knew for 15 years didn't have the time or the patience or the desire to be this reflective <laughs> I think he didn't have the opportunity <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's and, and he never had like a click like, conclusion like even even after they defeat Chuck like he doesn't ever have a time to to be reflective because it's always so marked with like loss mm-hmm. and then the, his story ends in the finale and I think it that's what is so intriguing about this because it, it is a version of Dean we've never seen before one that actually has the ability to like interpret his life and mm-hmm. his parents life lives through like a different lens than we've ever seen before which makes me like even more curious about where he is speaking this from because I have big questions it feels to me like he has closure, you know? Which Love does not eyes. work, which I do not believe if we are, like, the finale did not give us that. No. Oh. The finale gave us the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, even the heaven shots, like, the heaven shots, which were meant to be, like, oh, Dean has closure, never felt like he did. And so I I, I really hope that they're not trying to use, and I don't think so because it's Jensen and Robbie, and I we know how Jensen felt about the finale, but I don't. I'm really hoping they're not trying to retroactively be like, now he's okay with the way his story ended. And I I really hope that they're not trying to explain their way to Dean being at peace in the finale's version of Heaven, because I don't like that. But I don't know what else they could be doing. I'm not sure what they're doing. And I'm hoping they're doing something more complex than that. Something about the voiceover too is like, when we see Dean, he's writing in a journal. And a lot of people were really excited about that. But I think that one thing that this episode joins a handful of other supernatural episodes that prove once again you cannot believe what is written down in people's journals. Mm-hmm. It's Hunters so subjective. Are unreliable narrators. And um, hunters yeah. don't have all the information most of the yeah. time. But yeah. also, it comes back to that moral ambiguity as well because it's like mm-hmm. Tracy wasn't going to tell them that they intentionally buried Mac alive because why would she? you know, that's going to paint their perception of her in a negative way that she doesn't want. So she's going to not lie about it, but she's also not going to elaborate on it. Yeah, Darla didn't stop running for her life long enough to write down that uh, a ghost had come after her in the middle of a different hunt. She just wrote, I'm going on this other hunt and yeah, <laughs> and got killed. It's not <laughs> and we're just going to believe that what got, what killed her is obviously the thing that she last wrote about and not some other thing that yeah. she came upon. Like, 
which is also, I think, an interesting thing that's been happening in most of these episodes. I mean, and obviously happened a lot in Supernatural as well. The whole like bait and switch where they're like, it's this kind of monster. Oh, wait, it's not. But with this one, it's, you get this really interesting dynamic between the different characters about that mm-hmm. because of like who is willing to believe information. And like, particularly, I think John and Mary, we have interesting, like John, John's like newness to hunting comes out in that because John is usually so willing to believe the first possible solution. He doesn't actually... He doesn't have the experience to question it. No, and he doesn't, like, he's not very, like, he's not, we, we do not see him researching. We do not see him having those skills at all. But he's not building really. them because they have Lotha and yeah. Mary exactly. and Carlos. Like, he doesn't need those skills because uh-huh. the other people on the team are going to do that for him. But he also seems to want to be able to make a lot of the decisions based mm-hmm. on limited information that he hasn't himself really verified, which I think is just like a really interesting way they're developing his character. And I like it. Like, I think it's it's doing interesting things every episode yeah. because every episode you're getting like usually John butting heads with someone else on the team, different characters each episode butting heads about like what they should do and what they believe about whatever they're hunting. Before we get too far off from the voiceovers and in conjunction with, like, stuff about John, I did want to note, like, at the end, because, like we said, we got two voiceovers in this episode. Mm -hmm. So the one at the start where Dean was talking about right and wrong and good and evil and how it all starts to look the same Mm -hmm. after a little while. At the end, he – I don't have the actual quote written down, but he was specifically used the word righteous, which I thought was really interesting. It's not easy, but then again, the righteous things never are. Yeah, and I just Which thought... Is so you might believe I paused that until I had the whole thing written down. Yeah. Hunting's not for... Also, hunting's not for everyone. Uh-huh. Like, this whole episode is all about, like, can that you get some out? some people are... Yeah, and that maybe some people, like John, aren't actually super well-suited to it. But also that, like, once you're in far enough... It's it maybe doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't matter if it's not for you. You're stuck. Even Lotha, once you made the like, decisions, you're in. Lotha doesn't seem like she's super well suited to hunting, but uh, here she is every week, you know, saving their butts again. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that they're talking about who is and isn't suited to hunting, but they're looking at it from so many different perspectives of what it means mm-hmm. to be a hunter. Like, because you could argue that, you know, John is an incredible hunter like you could make that point and use your evidence to say like xyz but you could also use evidence to be like John's a terrible hunter and here is my evidence in xyz Mm -hmm. and even you know obviously the comparative like version of John in this episode is Mac and even Tracy makes the point of saying you know he was you know getting involved in all this dark magic and this was obviously like bad and dangerous and concerning but he was a damn good hunter and so it's like, yeah, he's not actually suited to being a hunter because obviously like this power and this corruptive thing was introduced to him through hunting and through the supernatural. It does seem like most of the people who are like, quote, good hunters have like very corrupted or dark personality traits. And like, it seems like most of who are good hunters are not suited to it. Well, I think that's the point though, because like one of the things that they talk about in this episode with Mac is like that he had experienced a whole bunch of trauma as a child and so hunting was a way of like taking control and using those emotions to make him a more effective hunter like I think about people like 
Gordon. I was just going to say the exact same thing. I think there's such an interesting parallel there. And I think that's the whole point is like hunting. The only people who become hunters are those who have been like incredibly traumatized. But that's actually also why hunting is so bad for everyone because it only exacerbates your trauma and makes you make a bunch of moral decisions that you're not really qualified to make because you're traumatized. If you met normal everyday people hunting, they would be people like Bella who like do it as a job and they go home at the end of the day. Like they would not be like the Gordon, Samma D. Winchester, like. The best hunters are bad at, are like bad at making, are bad at doing hunting ethically because like to do hunting ethically, you know, you know, I I thought about Gordon as well because like that who's really the monster here, them or me, like that part of the voiceover, like that is like the ethos of the Gordon storyline, like the. And we even get a really similar, like, you know, when Sam calls Ellen to ask if she knows about Gordon and she's like, yeah, he's a damn good hunter. Don't work with him though, you know, because he is not the person that you want to be associating with. And like for these reasons, because of the ethical reasons, the moral reasons and the violence that, you know, that's involved. And like the only hunters that manage like that, you know, hunting is this constant like you have to be making a choice really conscious choices to like check yourself morally and ethically and if you don't you know if you don't you end up going the path of like least resistance which is to become more violent because it makes you a better hunter and if you resist and you actually like want to hunt thoughtfully and ethically and like thinking complexly morally often you end up in a situation like tracy where you end up making a bad call and then you walk away for those reasons you know like I it's so and it's so like there's like every I feel like every hunter hits one of those categories yeah you know I do want to go back to Beth's point about the use of the word righteous um yeah I don't know what I want to say about it but I feel like I want to talk about if that makes sense (laughs) yeah it it doesn't feel like a Dean Winchester word to just drop no I, yeah I suppose especially considering all of the like I like, like went back like righteous man to be like did I hear that? that yeah exactly. I'm like did I just hear the righteous man use the word righteous in a sentence like and not sarcastically you know yeah. he uses it yeah. sarcastically a bunch within Supernatural where he's like but no you know, this oh, yeah, was, I'm the this was man, a like... serious use of the word I think it may be linked to the the righteous like you know how in like season four there's that whole bit where they were like your dad was supposed to be the one who broke on like in hell i don't believe that at all i don't believe that's ever the case (laughs) we just recorded the episode where we talked about that and i actually also like that's the point i made (laughs) argued really strongly for john i think it's just a lie i think demons lie (laughs) but i also think that dean believing it still makes sense yes yes i think regardless of whether or not it is actually true I do think that that might be sort of where they're kind of leaning with it, like into that concept of like John and his like righteous crusade, because like, yeah, or righteous in that sense, not yeah, right. And if we think about that, like even in sense of like heaven, we know heaven is really, really like heaven is corrupt. Mm -hmm. So like right, you know, righteous isn't as simple as like as like good or bad. Yeah, righteous like all things is subjective. Yeah. So <laughs> this episode I didn't have enough costume changes, but the costumes that we did have were excellent. Firstly, Lotha, incredible outfit yet again. She is. She, really, yeah, I, I love mean, the bandana so much. Yes, 
get the bandit. Oh, she's so the, cute. The jack, like the blue jacket with the fringe, the crochet sunflowers, the yellow tank top. She looks so good. Like that was her only real outfit for the episode. I think she adds a white coat at one point, but like yeah, in the lab, yeah. Mary, I wrote literally in my notes like dressed like the Mary we know and love, by which I mean like seasons twelve to fourteen. Mary, yeah, she's dressed yes. like adult yes. Mary, one hundred percent, yeah. And so, and 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 very much, I think also to kind of make the connection between her mm-hmm. and Tracy, who is also dressed very traditionally in the hunter outfit that we yeah the plaid and the yeah denim and the, yeah yeah and then the leather jacket at the end like tracy's wearing a leather jacket well, at the end yes. which did get me i did like have to like <laughs> stop for a second and be like she's wearing a leather jacket when she's talking about like going back to hunting and i was like Whew, okay okay carlos has two outfits in this episode he's one of the only people who has like multiple episodes I mean Mary <laughs> does as well but he draws attention to it as well yes it's really drawing attention to because his first scene he's wearing one of Mary's they say robe it's a sweater yeah it's but a great cannot, sweater it is great but I cannot picture Mary wearing it <laughs> <laughs> I did love the line where he's like I like to think of it as our robe like oh, big sibling be. energy <laughs> big sibling energy I am no longer concerned in any way I mean I wasn't really the last couple of episodes but I'm no longer concerned in any way that they're going to do anything with Mary and Carlos oh yeah I know I, mm-hmm. I do feel thank better god. about that thank god um, I do feel that that is not the path they're taking and I'm a-okay with it uh mm-hmm. this is siblings they, they, these are siblings um <laughs> Carlos has sibling energy with everyone except for John <laughs> uh and then, yeah speaking of John uh white shirt white shirt gets injured shirtless <laughs> and then puts the white shirt back on yeah <laughs> Which stays remarkably white, considering. Yeah, I mean, it gets a little scuffed up and dirty, but definitely not considering what it's been through. I can't keep a shirt that white in a normal day. But I also thought white was a really interesting choice as a color for John. Um, You know, the colors traditionally, like, innocence and, like, purity. And uh, John's going through some stuff in this episode. (laughs) To put it mildly. (laughs) This is John's... This is surprisingly Don John's darkest episode considering 104 I did mm-hmm. not think I would be saying that again so soon yeah they're really not holding back on this steep like quite steep descent for John yeah like thinking Quit about like the golden retriever energy he started off with this is like I think he's yeah his golden retriever energy is shifting there was there was a point I can't believe I'm saying this I cannot believe I'm saying this <laughs> there was a point in this episode where I'm like I see what Mary Winchester saw in John for like just a second. <laughs> which, which point? Which point, JJ? Well, I think oh, this reflects so badly on me as a person. <laughs> but when uh, they're having this big fight and he goes, first of all, he like channels some big gene energy where he's like, you want in my head? Fine. I'm like, excuse me, Gene Winchester Sr. Uh, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But then, when John's just like talking about how he doesn't want to send like wrap be the one to wrap Mary in a white cloth and put a knife in her hand and send her to the afterlife in the blaze glory, I'm like, I get oh I, I I'm seeing it. I am seeing the charm. It's not really charm, it's just like I'm seeing something. This magnetism, this magnetism they have towards each other, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, like, it's, it's terrifying. Scary. It's attraction, but it's scary, it's intense. I don't well, it's that like sort of attraction and like connection but but Mm -hmm. you know John says earlier in the episode when he's talking about 
their hunt for the Akrita, like he, you know, and they're like, yeah, all over being obsessive. Very obsessive. He's like, I'm not obsessed. I'm thorough. Except, and that's like even how their relationship feels a little bit. Like I'm like, you are so attached to Mary, and like I'm not saying that like you, you know, that's not a little bit of what like you know, like sometimes love obsession. Like there's like that there's that kind of line. There's love, and then there's infatuation. Yeah, yeah they're playing I, with that line a lot for them for the fact that they haven't actually known each other very long I think it's really that's part of what's scary about John is that he's so far gone yeah and, and like intense connection is good and fun we've seen that in Supernatural yeah. like uh even you know we have Dustyell we have like Sam and Eileen we have Sam and Rowena even like Charlie and Gilda yeah, like intense relationship not necessarily romantic relationships but intense relationships with people that we've just met because they're going to have a big impact on their life which is absolutely what john and mary have are yeah. like they're having an impact on each other and yeah. the other thing to bear in mind with that is like there's the season eight episode with the cupid where like the couples who are being matched are like it's like too much and they're like effectively killing each other you know and I, obviously like we know that john and mary were set up by a cupid we mm-hmm. haven't seen it actually like mm-hmm. in this show it's something that we know from supernatural and i assume is part of the law that they're not yeah. going to disregard like i would have assumed that would be something that they would definitely have kept if for no other reason than it would just be interesting yes it gives them options of how they play it out like there's yeah. so many ways they could do that yeah and so i think that that sort of if i didn't have that prior context I would probably be confused as to why John is like so into Mary especially considering they're not actually a couple like at this stage they kind of know that they like each other like but with the context of the Cupid it it makes a lot more sense to me yeah in in any other show if I didn't know they were going to end up together I would be picking up vibes but I would not be assuming for sure that they're not that they're going to end up together like based on the storyline in a lot of ways I would assume that they're not because she wants to get out of hunting yeah I think this this episode is so different than last episode like last episode like we really complained about the them leaning into John and Mary as a plot device and it didn't work at all this Mm. episode they did the same thing but it worked way better because yeah. it was true to their characters and yeah. their character arcs, which is that they are sort of diame- on diametrically different paths, but they can't seem to stop, like, be gravitating towards each other. And, like, Tracy even picks up on it. She's like, is this one of the reasons you have less hunting? One thing that before we move on from this that I really, really want to touch on is that I am glad that Mary called him out on his shit and said that yes. she doesn't need him using her as an excuse to avoid his issues. And, like, I 100% agree. And I also think one of the other things about this that is like, like while we're talking about the intensity of their relationship, I also think that John is treating Mary kind of like a possession in the sense of like, he's like, you're, I will not be sending you into the afterlife. It's like, bro, why would you be the one to do that? She has friends and family and everything outside of you and you know it's not actually up to you you to get her out of hunting safely it is not up to you how or when she leaves and so I think that that also falls into this like sort of obsessive or even like you know using the comparative to Mac like that paranoia I think is like very apparent in that scene particularly yeah it does yes it does feel like John is assuming that what he is feeling towards Mary, she is feeling equally 
strongly towards him, which I mean does seem to be the case, but John doesn't have any reason to know that. He's he he feels entitled to me. Like yeah. he feels yeah. like he is acting entitled to her affection or like he is entitled to have an opinion on any of the things she is doing with her life yeah. and how it should be handled. And like yeah. as her friends, you know, sure totally, like he's yes. entitled to have a thought and like share his opinions with her but the way that it's being put across is that like he has this desire to somehow control how these yeah, things are going and, to happen and that there's mm-hmm. like this hierarchy in terms of like like he has more feels like he should have maybe more say or more influence on her than someone like Carlos or Lata which is very interesting considering like Lata and her have like they Lata and Carlos and her like have, all have big sibling energy with each other yeah and they've been in her life for so much time yeah yeah and whereas it'd be interesting that they still automatically there's this pairing that is happening even in this episode of who goes to like confront John and who John listens you know John listens to Mary not really but better than he listens to Carlos. He just sort of disregards Carlos's opinions mm-hmm. and like and like yeah. Carlos's cautions on him. And it's really interesting. I also think that like the whole line about I don't need you using me as an excuse to avoid your issues adds layers to Supernatural. The whole mission that he was on to like avenge yeah. Mary that he uses yes. as an excuse to like treat his kids shitty yeah. and yeah. like all this other crap is it's like all based in Mary. There's also yeah. this scene at the end where he's like, I don't want to end up like Mac. And she promises that he won't because yeah. of how much that like, he means to her. And I'm like, it's exactly because of how much you mean to each other that he ends up like exactly like Mac. Because, well, because yeah. he ends up conflating those two. He ends up conflating like this care he has for Mary mm-hmm. to basically give him permission for whatever he wants to do and I think that's what happens in the in Supernatural is like he takes his love for Mary as permission and obligation to then disregard everything else for her memory. Mary also pretty strongly I mean she doesn't straight up say but she says like I promise you're not going to end up that way because I'm getting a hunting like implying that when she gets out she is taking John with her out of hunting like and she is going to she got him into this kind of accidentally but she's going to get him out of it when she gets herself out like <laughs> She's which is sort of them true. together and like is, yeah. that's john's never really expressed a desire to get out when they find like he, he wants to no. help mary find her dad so that, that she can get out he said when you get out and like i'm gonna help you get out and like been sort of encouraging he's with never, that. But he's never expressed that he wants to get out and the first yeah. time that he expresses any doubt that maybe he's on a dark path she's like i'm getting you out we're going out together like which I just thought that really, was very interesting. <laughs> well, which is very interesting because we know that like they do, they are going, they do, right. but yet hunting still follows them. This whole episode is like almost is so much about like the consequences of your actions. And I couldn't help thinking of like Mary's deal that she's going yeah. to eventually make, like that the consequences piece. I was just going to bring up the same point because we had that discussion between Mary and Tracy, where Tracy is saying mm-hmm. it's not that you can't escape the life but you can't escape the decisions you made in it, not when you compromise what you believe. And then she goes on to say, when you do decide to get out, you're going to do it the right way. And I was like, ooh, oh, no, yeesh. Not. <laughs> the thing is, well, the thing is, that might still be kind of true because she is going to maybe get out the right way in some senses. First, but then because John first. seems out when... When she makes the happens. deal. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then she, but yeah, she makes that like deal. How? And- how we get from here to 403 just becomes more and more interesting to me because yeah. it's, 
so not straightforward and it's not even any of the things that I ways I thought they might do it which makes me excited I have one more I have one more like big John Mary thing and I left it to the end because it's like important to suck um <laughs> they have an almost word for word version of the crypt scene Yes, yes, they do. Okay, yes. Yes, we do. Okay, that, that's I have two other there. points on this as well, so I'm so I glad you brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all, it's a, like, that's a Robbie Thompson episode. This episode wasn't written right by Robbie Thompson, but it, the show, whole show is read by him. Um, that's got to be on purpose, right? Like, it is almost There's word no for word. Way. Like, and it's the same kind of scene, too. It's a possession. It's a scene where someone's yeah, being someone's controlled. possessed mm-hmm. and, like, the other breaks them out of it. Life. Yeah, and then yeah. breaks them out. Yeah. Attempts to break them out of it. Because it, it attempts to. It attempts is the key because in the crypt scene, it works. In the scene, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But Mary is not able to break John out of it. Lata breaks John out of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lata, uh, Lata, like, physically puts herself between the gun and John. But also, like, when the fight scene first broke out, Mary stopped crazy from shooting John, like, on sight. Yeah. And I was that's like... That's true. But, like, oh, my... I was like, crypt scene... Like, that's a big Destiel moment. Like, Dean was supposed to say I love you in that scene, and he doesn't. But, mm-hmm. like... Well, and that scene was written by Robbie, and that Robbie's original script said had Dean saying I love you in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, the... <laughs> I feel crazy. I feel crazy. So, to call back to that here is, I think, like, some of the best things that they could do for John and Mary as a yeah. couple. And the fact that it wasn't just that, like this was not a standalone moment in the episode that called back to a Destiel moment because we also had the whole interaction happens in a barn, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, I need to say no more. But choices, also, choices. yeah, choices, choices. But also in this episode, we had the line from Mary in the sort of last scene or one of the last scenes when she's talking to John. And first up, she says morning sunshine, which is, what Dean says to Cass in that episode in the bunker. But also she specifically uses the line that you mentioned earlier, which is you mean too much to me, which is the same thing that Cass says when he finds out that Dean and Sam made the deal with Billy and Mary is actually present for that. So I think that is really interesting. But yeah, so they've made three or four different references. I forgot about that too, but yeah, you're so right. That is exactly what Cass says. Yeah. In this one episode, this yeah. whole idea of I don't want you to go down this dark path because I care about you because you're too important to me. And so I will physically put myself in harm's way to try and show you and to try and break you out of, you know, both like different things too, like trying to break you out of literal possession, but then also try to break you out of like a decision that you've made. That might doom you like that or like a headspace like trying yeah. to break you out of trying to break you out of the cycle like this this episode yeah. ultimately yeah. comes yeah. down to like the cycle of trauma and the cycle of violence and mm-hmm. how one basically just leads itself straight back into mm-hmm. the other like you're traumatized you're scared you lash out you further traumatized even or more scared lash out again and it's just this yeah. this continuous cycle that they're all sort of stuck in in different ways yeah yeah and it's so interesting that this episode chooses how this episode chooses to resolve that with Lata being like the linchpin to to something shifting where Mm -hmm. Lata actually is the one that is like she's like you she's the one that says you know you saw someone caught in a cycle of violence and you wield them like a weapon she's the one that says violence is always a choice she's the one that says like even if you had a lifetime of violence even if it shaped like everything you've ever had 
the violence finds you, but you can, the, like the line when she says you can keep acting in violence, but it won't bring you peace. Peace oh. has to be chosen. Yeah. The idea of like peace when you are done, the yeah. idea of like, of like laying down your weapon to choose peace. Like what I, I do not know what they're trying to do with this, but the I fact that they're either. doing this. But like John like, never gets to that point. Like John's never going to choose peace. No. And Dean dies before he can. Which is, but Dean is telling us this story. Yes. And that's what's interesting is because like Dean is telling us this story about how like peace has to be chosen and violence, if violence is the violence end. Violence and then anger. And, and, and the fact that he dies in such a violent way, like what are they doing? But also like the confession, because like Cass has this whole thing about how like everyone sees Dean as angry and Cass knows that he's like a loving person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just. <laughs> I'm in it right now while you were talking so uh yeah um I'm gonna need five to ten business days <laughs> to address what I felt in that moment I have some Sam stuff so let me talk with him because a okay like for I'll just segue that in uh Sam you know after Dean dies Sam puts hunting behind him and he lives a life he lives the old and I still hate that for him but <laughs> it's slightly better than what everyone else got so it's still it's still terrible no one should be happy with that i have this whole thing about sam driving like sam only drives when he's taking he's control, of the, control narrative. of the narrative so when they first leave carlos is driving and lapis in the passenger seat and john and mary are in the back and when they're going home john's passed out and mary's in the back with him and carlos is in the passenger seat and lapa is driving which is i think the first one we've ever seen lapa drive and it's after she's yeah. saved john with oh her big i love that I love that connection. That's so fun. Um, but also, um, I have some obviously like the big connections were made between Mac and John, which we can talk about later. But I made some big connections between Mac and Sam. Yeah. Um, Ooh, yes. Because, you know, I picked up on some of this too. So I'm excited to hear what you say about because I had some half baked thoughts on yeah, it. Yeah, like rough childhood bullied abusive father, turned to dark magic, became more violent, aggressive and more effective hunter. Like that that's how we're introduced to Mac. And I'm like, uh, we got Demon Blood Sam, we have Soulless Sam, we have like post hell Sam, like and then like yeah. Mac says there's nothing you can do to me that I haven't already survived. And I was violently thrown back to uh Sam tied to a chair, going, I've been tortured by the devil himself. Like Yeah. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You're just an accent that, of pants yeah. too. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, I don't know, like, Sam, like, and, and, like, the whole thing with Mac is, like, he, like, turned to dark magic to, like, get more powerful, and, like, uh, Sam with the demon blood. Yeah, and as a way to, like, right the, right the wrongs, like, you know, Mac is trying to right the wrong of his own death and of the fact that nobody tried to help him, and, like, Sam, as, as a character who, like, so often ends up in really dark places because nobody is helping him or because he doesn't know how to ask for that help or the people around him, like notably like Dean, Bobby, Cass, don't know how to help him. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so they like, yeah. Actually, while you were talking about that, I was scrolling through some of the other quotes from this episode because I was like, something's like niggling here. I'm like, I feel like there is something <laughs> else that struck me as Sam-ish. And so I came back to the speech that Latha was giving and there was the quote that said, I tried to make myself smaller so the violence wouldn't find me, but it did. For the longest time, it made me feel powerless until one day it made me feel angry. And that anger kept growing inside of me, just like it did for my father. And it really reminded oh, me Mr. of like Anger-ish. seasons one, two, Sam. 
like you know like he tried to leave he tried to make himself like unimposing and he settled down with Jess and then Mm -hmm. but when that sort of all went to hell when the violence found him he was just angry and that's when he was most like the jonification of Sam is in those early seasons or even um there's an episode I don't remember what the context is but Dean and Bobby are talking about Sam and Bobby's like Sam's not like Mr. Anger Management like Sam has anger issues like Mm -hmm major anger issues that even bobby can't look past i think even in um, mystery spot gabriel makes the point where he says anyone who says that you know dean is the one with anger issues or something has never seen you with a pointy object in your hand something to that effect something like, yeah, yeah yeah it's one of my yeah. favorite characteristics of sam's like yeah yeah he is this like angry person but like he is yeah trying to make himself small and unassuming and like he acts like he's not like he acts like he's this normal guy mild mannered but like if yeah. you scratch the surface at all like there's this deep like rage underneath and yeah it makes for such a good character <laughs> it does and again he and there's also this like righteousness piece too with sam where mm-hmm. there's this like mm-hmm. it, it's all stemming from a sense of justice a sense of of like injustice a sense of like wrongs done that he's trying to write like so many of sam's choices or the way his anger is expressed or the reasons his anger is expressed is because well yeah and i think john and dean both are willing to admit that they are hunting because they want to save people save the world whatever but at the end of the day it's really because they're angry and they want to take that anger out on something sam is not willing to say that out loud like he it's true. It's not untrue. It's just that he won't say it out loud. Whereas still, Dean and yeah. John will both admit to that fact. Well, the whole and like Sam knows that he is like you know damaged and and hurt and like that the his trauma is the reason for most of his decisions. Um, but he doesn't tend to admit it the same way that Dean does, or in the same name. Like Sam will admit saying it, it out loud. That, adds this like layer to it that he's just not ready to yeah. take on. Yeah, which is really interesting. And it's really interesting when we think about like John and Sam comparison in an episode like this, mm-hmm. where even, you know, like John says to lot like John says late on in the episode, he says, you know, I've struggled with anger like my whole life and I thought I'd put it to rest, but the fight with Neto woke it up. And like thinking about early season Sam mm-hmm. where like he thinks he's dealt with his stuff. And yeah. then oh, Jess dies. A normal life, and and then Jess dies, and it like wakes up everything because it wasn't actually ever dealt with. And I think that's what we're mm-hmm. seeing with with John. And this like kind of sad thing too is that we're seeing with John is that like I think I saw someone I think on Twitter or Tumblr point this out is that like what we're seeing is that John does have a support system, like more so than season one Sam did. Season one yeah, Sam much pretty more. much both Just had ID. and they were both like super fucked up whereas like season like this john has so many resources to mm-hmm. deal with like not that it's easy because it's like a, escaping violence and like dealing with the repercussions is never easy but john has so john has community that is like worried about him and that genuinely wants to help him mm-hmm. so the fact that he is not going to actually be able to escape that cycle of violence is really tragic yeah and i yeah i was like i feel that i was sad like that last scene is so sad to me. That scene with him and Lata is so sad to me because I'm yeah. like, I, I know, see what I wrote that in my notes too. Like, what what happens? Like, who is this man and why is this not the path that he stayed on? Like, 
what happens in the last what half? happened what yeah. happens from here that this this isn't the man that we get like as much as this john has already darkened a lot since the pilot and like revealed darkness that existed in the pilot that wasn't on the surface you know even six episodes ago he's still not like i'm gonna use my own children to bait a monster yeah this last scene with Lapa when he goes in and he's like oh you know could you teach me like how to meditate and how to sort of like control the anger and stuff I saw in Drake's performance so much of Jensen's as Dean so much like just the mannerisms and the like the yeah. kind of way he like was sitting and like his facial expressions I was like oh this feels like the Dane. facial expressions yeah he's trying yeah. to be vulnerable even though it's very hard and very scary mm-hmm. it he's kind of to, like, like actually be soft it reminded me of like when you know how like when Dean first uh starts praying and it's like very like he's just like making a bit of a joke out yeah. of it because he like hates that he's doing it kind of thing same vibes for me i was that like okay vibe. i hadn't thought of that you, but yes you know who else who, what other dynamic it reminds me of what um dean and cassie because she's one of the first characters that brings out this like vulnerability and softness with him where he's like and also a little bit of dean and um uh what's her name in faith like the way um, oh first, yeah. like, when he's like oh i'll pray for you I was gonna um, say Brina, but that's not it. It's not. No, no. I literally just watched this episode. I should know her name. I oh, should know her I'm name. I'm so annoyed. Um, she plays um, Dala in Buffy, but that's yeah, so yeah, unhelpful. I like, absolutely know her name. Her character. That's why I name. said Brina because that's who she plays in Dexter. Um. <laughs> anyway, she is like. I feel like that also is the same kind of thing where it's like this character who has found a way to find peace. And like whenever Dean interacts with someone who has actually managed to find it, and whenever he is actually willing to ask for help in finding whatever they're finding, like same energy with John and Lata. Yeah. While we're talking yeah. about Lata, Layla, I do. Layla, I want to segue us into something like Layla. a little bit more upbeat. I yeah. every scene that she was in this episode was beautiful. Was so like I just want to do like <laughs> oh, I know um, the too. actress who plays her, Nita. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Like Incredible. she especially Incredible. like she's been great this whole season, but this episode in particular, she was just killing it. Like that opening scene where she she's like doing the meditation and then she can hear John and Carlos arguing and she's like, I am deeply annoyed. I laughed out loud both times. Like she just did and same with so the end well. Too. She's so funny. Yeah, she's so she's much comedy great. in this episode. I love Lotha, honestly. Like every I was I was really upset the week that, like, we found out that she lied about her parents being dead. I'm like, oh, please don't be, like, suspicious, because I love her so much. But yeah. now, I think it's just because she's not ready I to think, talk about some of Yeah, I think like, she just she... has trauma she doesn't want to talk about, and, like, that's fine. You and can, that's you valid. Can keep that to yourself. Valid, you can have that. I, I don't have any suspicions about her. Like she was in that perfect sense. in this episode, like literally perfect. And every interaction she had with Carlos just makes me so fucking yes. happy. Jojo's acting yes. in this episode also impeccable. <laughs> like the two of yeah. them, I and we got to talk about Anton, obviously. Um, yes. But the whole interaction, like at the end when uh, Latha, especially when she has the little letter, and they're like doing yeah. the like little tussles, like like gimme gimme. Yeah, it's, that's. It's, so cute. It made me like, so happy. Vibes and it's so cute. And yeah. like I have one, I have one critique of 
that element of the plot and then mm-hmm. I want to gush about it because is I it Carlos genuinely really like the dead arm <laughs> no it's not um, I thought that was it's fucking hilarious and I don't care it's funny I thought it was funny I, I thought it was it. funny um, so it was it was just the tonal piece of like Carlos is so not invested in the actual case because he's fluttery over a boy and I just didn't buy that he's yeah, too it was good a of a pretty serious that. case yeah. too because like everybody had been like real sobered by the funeral yeah one and too. he's and he is like weirdly just like not focused on the details yeah. of the case he's weirdly just like in a flutter about this boy and I just didn't really buy it based on his previous character stuff because I was like you were sh- there it made him came a- come across like really shallow a couple of times and I was like as much as I love these scenes in any other episode in this context it feels disingenuous to his character that's like my only critique of it I agree because my only critique of it was that I felt like as soon as Anton was introduced it was brought up in every single scene Mm -hmm. that Carlos Carlos was in and I was like okay we get it like you don't have to hammer it home this hard (laughs) you know you can still be Carlos and like also be engaged in other elements of this story yeah like he has other stuff going on other than this little crush that he's just developed dressed incredibly though by the way like incredibly dressed in this episode um yes this blood yes. and the heart sunglasses really did everything incredible but yeah I thought that crying over the dead arm was too far I'm like this <laughs> I just thought it was <laughs> funny I thought it was like I, I guess I kind of interpreted it as like kind of fake tears I'm like I'm like yeah. you're not actually crying you're just like putting this on because you're tear, dramatic no, there was an actual tear that happened which he didn't that's wipe his face I was like no it's too far this is not a 13 year old this is an adult He's a young adult, but yeah. he's an adult. Uh, that's too far. We need to emotionally mature slightly. That's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, which I think is big similar. But other than other than it was great. I was just like, like that's too much. It, it's a dead vampire arm. We gotta stop. <laughs> Honestly, in that scene, I was more distracted by the fact that we learned that they also have an incinerator. So I'm gonna yes, add that, that to my growing list of things that they just have. Again, also when John yeah. was knocked out and they took him back to the clubhouse. They put him on this like couch thing, and I was like, the bunker has a full on lab and an incinerator, but they don't have a bed. Yeah. <laughs> there's no like army, there's no like army cot. He's on a too small couch. You're telling me that they didn't build an infirmary? They have a full lab and no infirmary. I'm like, okay. Priorities, obviously. Priorities, clearly. <laughs> Something I really did like about Carlos in this episode was that he was concerned about John. Yeah. Yes. And I wish they had leaned into that a little bit more because it kind of disappears. We did learn a really episode. interesting piece of information, though, about Carlos and John. And that's that Carlos told on John because we, we had been talking about how Carlos is the only person who knows everything that's going on with Ada and mm-hmm. John. And, but Carlos and has consistently tattled on everybody that he's like, he told about, he told on Ada about the demon bonsai. He told on John about the. Mars thing like Carlos is the antithesis to the Winchesters never telling each other important <laughs> yeah Carlos is like I'm seeing the people are doing weird shit and keeping secrets and I am gonna just tell Mary everything also Mary really has stepped up her leadership role so much like she's oh a so lot better <laughs> yeah I actually think that Carlos is the most empathetic character he has been like he was there for the emotional talk with Ada in the last episode he was there for Latha in this episode he was there for John in the NATO episode I feel like I feel like I'm forgetting 
a conversation that he's had with oh um in the second episode with mary when he was talking mm-hmm. about their their parents like he has consistently had really emotional like developments with each of the characters individually that they have not really outwardly discussed with anyone else mm-hmm. and i think that's just really interesting like he just seems to be the character who is not only talking to them about these things, but is also approaching it with such compassion. Like the way that he broached the topic with Latha saying, you know, is it the funeral? Like it was really hard for me too. And like, I think that it's just quite a lovely character trait that he has. A lot of them, they're seeing what like each of them are putting out for the world to see. And Carlos is the only one who is actually seeing people. The way Carlos looked at Latha when she saved John mm. and, and Mac, obviously, he looked at her like, oh my god, this person like hung the sun. Like he like had such a look of just appreciation and adoration for her. Yeah. And I was like, he and I think pride as well. Like, I think he was proud yeah. of her in that moment. Oh, absolutely. Because he's like he had that conversation be- with her earlier than earlier in the episode about like her being like her being like, I don't know if I can make it as a hunter if I'm a pacifist. And he saw her do that. Like she she and she didn't just like hunt something she saved the thing that they were hunting and she saved all the people that were there like she saved everybody like yeah and she maintained her values like she yeah. didn't yeah. sacrifice who she was and that's so important in the context of this episode and Tracy's whole point about like when you make decisions that compromise your beliefs and your morals that's when you're going to have ongoing problems that's when you can't escape. yeah yeah you can't escape the consequences and Lata doesn't have to escape the consequences because she yeah, actually I was really chose a different way before now like and I was really glad that they were going to deal with this and I was like because I was really concerned for exa- of exactly the thing that I was concerned about in this episode of like what happens if there's no one around to like do the physical violence that is required to survive as a hunter but like she proved right. in this episode that she could to an extent like protect herself and I hope that if it does come down to like a life or death situation she would protect herself and I think in in some ways this almost gives her the chance to do that because I think in this scenario she was willing to take the risk the personal risk to find another way and I think in other scenarios she might be more okay with it uh, yeah I do I do foresee like there's definitely going to be scenarios where like she's you not going to have a choice someone. like there's not like you know if it's a werewolf like werewolves just eat people and like don't really think too much about it like you can't reason but then there's the yeah. point that like that you could make that a werewolf isn't a werewolf every day of the month. A werewolf is only a werewolf for a small amount of time. So, you know, it, it's that whole big murky gray area. Mm-hmm. And she brings that conscience to the group, I think, in that the way it's really Which powerful. Is, and Carlos yeah, kind of points that Carlos kind of points that out as well, is that she is not a hunter like him and John. They and Mary, are, and they need and that, that honestly. They yeah, and that, that that's she needs they need that. I want to know how Lata got into hunting because I think she's the only one who we don't know. Uh, didn't Samuel Samuel rescued her? From yeah, we don't know any specifics about the situation. Else, we do know Samuel rescued her, and then she became connected to their. She stayed connected with their family. I just want to know the context. Like, I want to know. I want to know what happens there. Yeah, right. and like she yeah. knew Maggie, so I want to know like if she was there when Maggie died or not. Like. Yeah, and how did she, but yeah, she, she present, yeah. like, I just, I, I would like to know more details about that whole situation. Um, speaking of Mary's family, Tracy, unconcerned that Mary has no idea where either of her parents are at. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Tracy called, be more concerned. Yeah. I also like that we get it, uh, we get a little bit of background in that 
this is not the first time that Deanna and Samuel have been separated, and apparently this is like a that pattern. Does help me, uh, that does help me with four or three existing. Like that does point to like they're that- gonna make up at some point. Well, and also to the fact that they in four hundred three it is very strange. Like they do not feel like a happy couple, mm. and that I'm like, okay, I see that now. Like there, this tension is there. It's also yeah, just really they're not supposed to be. It's also just really interesting. Like when Tracy reflects on the like, oh, you remember when you came to stay with me? Reminded me super strongly of like what we know of John and Mary. Um, that they were separated at least once when Dean was very young like because we get that Mm -hmm. scene where like Dean is comforting you know comforting his mom and and you know that's like I was really viscerally reliant to that when Tracy was talking about that of like yeah children paying for and like being responsible for some of their parents you know like getting involved in their parents relationships I just yeah it's interesting actually when the episode opened which I want to point out I feel like for me at least it felt like the most supernatural opening yet like it was like a random person running through a woods kind of blindly <laughs> being chased by yeah. an unknown monster yeah. they fell over was, and then they got eaten like they've it was the most it was the most like um early skip like I think I felt like that also because I was like like the second time I watched it I was like oh I can skip this first few minutes yeah which nothing is very supernatural yeah thing that I, I do it when I watch supernatural you whereas like I haven't been doing that with the prequels and I don't ever skip it the first time mm-hmm. but the second watch I did definitely like turn oh it yeah on my second I was, watch like, I making... skipped I'm like okay it's it's yeah she's gonna die it's fine. when that actually like when that open like started I was like, oh, is it Deanna? Like, I thought, I was like, oh, I gonna... thought it was too. Okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Yeah. I and I was like, was. oh, I wonder. And then she got gutted on the ceiling. And I was like, well, it can't be Deanna, but that is an interesting choice. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the gutted on the ceiling part was, uh, yeah. And I was like, I think, honestly, like, it's like the beginning of the episode is like, you have this woman who's like running literally from her past mistakes. And then she ends up supernaturally pulled to a ceiling and then she gets her stomach cut open. (laughs) And I was kind of like, I feel like that's probably applicable to an overarching narrative (laughs) point. (laughs) Like by the time I got to the end of the episode and I was like, oh, this whole episode is about running the past and not being able to outrun those decisions you made in, in like the throes of a high pressure situation with like morals and like complicated emotions and like relationships involved I was like that feels like this is very bookended I would love to know what's written in the actual script like for that scene I'd like to know (laughs) yeah right and how it compares to other scripts this is our first episode of the new show where we're meeting outside hunters that is another thing I wanted to talk about was that this episode also deals with hunter culture in a way the supernatural mm-hmm. like took so long before it ever had an episode where you got to have so yeah. many candid conversations hunter culture and like hunter funerals specifically mm-hmm. i think we definitely need to talk about yes yeah i think that scene is lovely really lovely I think it was such a respect i think i really liked it because so often in supernatural like there's so much it's body yeah, sheet like, higher done in and it's so disconnected from like it's so like everyone's grieving but everyone like I can think of like multiple times in Supernatural where there's a hunter's funeral and every single person that's at that hunter's funeral feels disconnected from everyone else this one they feel like they were mourning together and someone they didn't really know like 
that were brought together because of hunting and it was yeah. like a beautiful representation of like how we come together as a community to deal with this like loss that is to all like a loss to us all maybe with the exception of when Cass dies in season 12 we never see them preparing the body like I was gonna say that this was the only time other than that where we actually get to see that process of like actually preparing the body before yeah. it's burned every other every other instance the body just comes out pre-wrapped like it doesn't, yeah pre-wrapped and it's such a I don't know like I, I can think of a couple like off the top of my head uh John when John dies Charlie and Dean in the finale like it's like that like it's like death scene and then next episode or next scene white sheet body it's very impersonal on the pyre done it feels impersonal and it feels like a chore and this didn't feel like a chore this felt like a, a process like a grieving process and a moment of like showing love to that person who you yeah want. and like respect and mm-hmm. like something about like the knife too we don't we hadn't really seen that before where they put the knife and like your hunt is yeah. done you can rest like hunts over now doll you get to rest and 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 even just like the uncovering of her face and like the tenderness there and the cleaning yeah the cleaning felt really really nice for me yeah it reminded me of yeah Dean and wrap and cast like wrapping Cass's body and like mm-hmm. some of the tenderness that was there but this was honestly even more I think like because again in that scene the tra- that's really sad part of it is that Dean is doing it entirely alone this scene I think is beautiful it's like because... a sense of community it's the and care for each other recognize yeah. they're all yeah. grieving together and I think that was yeah and they don't leave they don't leave like they don't leave Tracy alone to do it alone yeah what really like stood out about this scene for me was like this really felt like you were saying before like about like respect and stuff for those who've passed but also it felt like they were they weren't mourning someone they knew but they were mourning someone that they recognized themselves mm-hmm. in like they were mourning yes. the loss of a yes, community that's member exactly it. and the only thing that i can think of from the og show that comes close is yes the only funeral we saw the preparation was was for Cass in the very beginning of season 13 mm-hmm. or maybe celebrating the life of Ava Fox which was yeah, another yeah, very heavy it. episode where we had there were people actually grouping together yes, to have the funeral yeah. because every other funeral was basically like whoever was present when they died like no one else got yeah, invited because you have to you because you have to quickly yeah. somber yeah. The, like you don't have a lot of time and often often also in supernatural there's no time because of like it, there's a crisis at hand of like whoever killed them is still out there yeah even mary like we don't really see like they have a they have a funeral for mary like there's no i guess they have like the empty body or whatever that jack made but like they yeah. like there's people people gather to be with her and like i just i don't know i'm just thinking like there's... dean's funeral or it's just sam and the dog like it's just it's nothing like it's nothing but even charlie like Say it's just Sam and Dean, and they're so mad at each other about it that they're not even really respectful of Charlie. Like they're taking the opportunity to like snipe at each other. Yeah, their grief so, is like, so overwhelming to them because I think they don't. There's this like senselessness, and there's obviously the senselessness with this death as well. But there's also the sense of like we, as a community, are honoring the life of this hunter like yeah. honoring, and it has a person. deep impact on all these characters like they all take like carlos is like this was upsetting for me as well like this hit close to home and like john has this whole like realization like i gotta help mary get out so i, I don't 
so that I don't get her killed by, like, making her stay. Like, she could be gone from hunting by now, like. Yeah, the legacy piece, too, like, of, like, these younger hunters and this older hunter, I think that was also really lovely of, like, the older hunters teach mm-hmm. the younger hunters what they know, not only just skills, but also the kind of, like, attitude that you bring to the job and the yeah and all of that. What I do think speaks volumes is the fact that all three all three of our like main protagonists outside of John, so like Mary Latha and Carlos, all three of them are intimately aware of how these funerals work. They have probably been to countless. And they're not particularly old characters. They're all in like yeah. their very early twenties, you know, if that and so not the even fact Mary's that, not even twenty. Yeah, exactly. And so the fact that they're like we know exactly what this process is. We know how it works. We've been to enough of these that we know. Like only John is the, doesn't know. And exactly, yeah. this is, and you know, it's his introduction to it. And even he is not very old. And so this is his first hunter's funeral that he'll see. And he'll see many more. And he's more. been to his own share of like civilian funerals. Like in, yeah. He's, yeah. Like, he's not a pilot. He had just been at like yeah. Murph's funeral. And like he's seen a lot of death in the outside world like that's a lot for some reason and i don't know why but something about when they lift the body up to put it on the pyre and the arm kind of flops down something about that moment really hits me for some reason like that's the point where i got most emotional when i saw the arm come down and i don't know why but something about just that shot it was just very can i present can i present a reason that might be upsetting slightly please I think it's in. I think it. There's a a very similar moment in the in fifteen twenty when Dean dies. There's a like physical body losing its yeah like, that like drops, and I think that that is yeah. Maybe that's that's really fair. I think usually when we upset. see when we see a body in a sheet or a body bag and the arm falls out, it's meant to like convey a sense of like dread usually and like, final like, and finality. Yeah, like. like this is a dead person. Like, this person is dead. There is a body in this bag. And, like, this is not that. Like, this is something different. And I think that might be why I have such a re- like emotional reaction to yeah. it. It's the same action, but it's not the same emotional connotation. I think it kind of, just thinking about it more now, it might just be that, like we mentioned before, these sort of funerals are... Uh, typically feel kind of impersonal because you can't see the body and it's just like yeah it's all like pre-organized and things and even when we saw Dean like wrapping Cass like there was no movement I suppose or anything like it was very much like you see his face but then it gets immediately covered up again and like this it's an empty vessel it's a very clearly an empty vessel yeah and whereas this kind of feels like I don't know humanizing of this white yeah packet <laughs> like yeah. it rem- it's like yeah. the humanity slipping out I suppose like it's like it's not just yeah. it this isn't just a faceless emotionless memoryless humanoid thing it's an actual person who we are farewelling Tracy like was washing her face I think I had a similar kind of moment like it's incredibly humanizing because you recognize that this is someone that she cares so much about someone who she has so much history with someone who she wants to have one last time of looking at their face yeah because it's still their face and you know that is really really moving I did also notice that we're still just dropping the entire lighter into the yeah 
just use matches. Like, <laughs> we don't need yeah. to be paying for the lighters. Another hunting thing I want to talk about in this episode happens before we even get to the farm. Carlos knows Tracy by, like, reputation, even though Carlos isn't probably old enough to have been involved in hunting when Tracy would have retired. Like, that was probably before he even started. Yeah. We don't have an exact date on Carlos, but, like, assume he's in his mid-20s. She, yeah, she's been out she's for been 10 out years. She's been out for 10 years, and, like, his family got killed by ghouls, and that's how he got into it. So, like, I'm guessing he probably was older than, like, 10 or 11. Like, so she was probably gone before he started, but he knows who she is. And it made me think of something I hadn't really thought about regarding Sam going to Stanford, because I had always thought about John, like, wanting to control Sam and wanting to, like, make the kids as obsessed as he is in this revenge mission. But I think getting out of hunting is a bigger deal than I realized. Because Carlos won't even say it. He's like, is she the one that, and he stops, he won't say. And Mary's the one who says, retired? Like, he can't even say it. And so I think as much as John isolates the kids from other hunters, he himself knows a lot of other people and a lot of other hunters. And I think Sam leaving is something that he maybe saw as, like, shameful for him. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. really... I hadn't really considered that before. And we see little hints of that in Supernatural in the first couple of seasons when they do meet up with other hunters that either knew John. Like, there is this sense of, like, oh, you're John Winchester's kid. Like, we know your dad. We we know your dad's reputation. Like, there is is a community and a culture in hunting. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I realized that Sam leaving was something that the rest of the hunters would have opinions about the way that this made me think that they which also would maybe track back to like mary as well and Mm -hmm. what she is expressed and why samuel is so opposed and why she's having such a hard time because tracy tracy brought up a good point here which is like mary's parents are both gone like why is she still here and i think it's not as simple as that yeah i think this is giving me information about why like and you're in or you're out you know, mm-hmm. like the reason that Sam makes the decision to leave is not just maybe because of Dean and John. It's also because of this whole culture. And yeah. if you stay even a tiny bit connected, it drags you back in. And Tracy obviously stayed this tiny bit connected, but mostly left it all behind for many years and only just reconnects with it yeah. in time for it to be too late. And that's the way that Tracy left hunting is really, really interesting because she didn't just leave it in the sense of like, I'm going to take a step back from actually actively going on hunts. Like she got rid of all of her books, which I think- It reminds me of Lee. Yeah. Like 15. I understand (laughs) because of the reason why she got out of hunting, I could see how like seeing that stuff in your house all the time would like, you know, bring emotions back and you would just need to get rid of it. But also like tactically, logically, not- probably the best move to make yeah like at least put them away and keep them somewhere in case you need them later but yeah she she fully just cut and run I wonder if that's also somewhat to do with her guilt like if she's going yeah I don't want like I don't want to have any of these things in my protection because like to protect me because if something comes after me Mm. like I deserve it and I'm not yeah. going to. That feels like Winchester vibes right there. <laughs> That's a really good point. It makes me also think about how many hunters, like the the few characters that we do know over the course of Supernatural, that either try to leave or partially leave, 
but but yeah don't do keep their things or do still you know dean in season six he like still has the wards he still has salts Mm -hmm. doors he still does all these things you know there's the like occasional character that tries to like live on the border of like civilian life and hunting life but usually doesn't last very long the reason that I thought it was particularly interesting is like also because of the conversation she has with Mary uh right at the end of the episode where Mary's like Mm -hmm. oh so what you started a farm and you like tried to play make-believe and it kind of reminds me of what Mary essentially ends up doing which is like she leaves hunting and she doesn't bring any of her stuff that we know of with her because theoretically John is a civilian at this point and he doesn't know what's going on theoretically you know and (laughs) so I do think it's just interesting that she would make this point of like you know so you just left your decisions your bad decisions in the past and you just like tried to pretend like none of it ever happened and then you just got on with your normal life and I was like well yeah but you also like make a demon deal and then you just pretend everything's normal and you go on with your normal life like so I think it's interesting, yeah. like, in that context. That's almost exactly what Dean says to Sam in the pilot, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, you thought you could just walk away. Normal apple pie life. And he's like, and he, like, asks Sam if Jess knows all the stuff he did. And Sam says no. And Dean goes, well, that sounds healthy. Like, yeah. Which is so, and, well, I mean, we get that in season six as well with, with Dean. I, like, just mm-hmm. rewatched season six. So I'm like, this is, it's been on my mind. But, like, where there's a number of conversations that he has with Lisa, that he has with Bobby, that he has with Sam about basically can you have, like, can you, can you walk that line? Can you be in both worlds? And it seems like no. The answer seems seems to be no. Across 15 seasons of Supernatural and so far this, this season of the Winchesters, yeah, it seems to be like you don't escape primarily because of the consequences of your choices. Like, and because those were, one of those worlds is so dangerous yeah. that it doesn't tend to let go I think the, I think the closest thing you could get is if 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 you were a hunter but you wanted to like settle down and have like more of a like stable home life kind of thing I think the closest thing you could get which is something the show does touch on or the OG show does touch on mm-hmm. is settling down with a hunter like settle down with someone who also knows the life Gar- Garth's Garth's actually an example of this as well Garth yeah, yeah. Garth's pretty good um, I think the Campbells, honestly, like as much as Mary seems very resentful of it, I think the fact that Mary's been in the same like town for a few years. I can't think of their names, but the two guys that oh Jesse, Jesse and Caesar? Caesar, Jesse and Caesar, thank you. Yes, it would be nice if we had an update on them. Like they said they were yeah. getting out, we never really saw them again. It would be nice if we knew for a fact. Wait, if we knew if they actually okay. were getting out. Yeah, and even Sam says to Dean, I want to say like around the somewhere in the Darb era like the last couple of seasons he says you know do you ever still think about it like settling down someone in the life kind of thing and you know like that's because for him Sam and Eileen like they could that could work you know that's maybe the interesting thing is I think the only people that manage to be successful are the people who are willing to admit to themselves that they will never be like truly civilians like you have to be willing to face what you've done the choices you've made and come to grips with like the fact that maybe you'll you know go to farmers markets on the weekends and whatever but maybe also sometimes you will go out and hunt a werewolf and maybe yes you will check the salt lines every night and like Mm -hmm. you can have both but only if you're willing to admit that you have both yeah and that that that's your life like I think that's why it works for Garth is like he's yeah he's a dentist but yeah he's also a werewolf and yeah he's also a hunter like he's holding all of those things and all of those are important parts of his identity that he actually doesn't try and just like ignore 
because like anytime anyone any hunter tries to like ignore part of like yeah. who they are that's what comes back to bite I think that's why Dean was sort of successful with Ben and Lisa like there is a level of ignoring things there but like he is also like you know like he's got the salt and he's like checking the locks every night and like Lisa is acutely aware of that fact like yeah pre the beginning of season six I think yeah that's true I think as soon as season six hits it that's no longer true yeah but I think pre I think there's a maybe a, a brief period of time where that's kind of true while we're talking about this idea of like settling down with someone else in a life kind of thing or like the romance within hunting I do want to come back to Anton because I do love Anton yes great addition yeah nice to have a new character uh we've had so many new characters but I really like Anton I hope he comes back mm-hmm. I hope so too he seems like a great resource and he obviously knows about hunters yeah but I'd also, like to know more yeah. about him and his dad and their business I love that he's a taxidermist I don't know why, but that just fills me with such joy. I was like, that is such a fun, like, way to introduce someone who would, like, have this kind of knowledge of, like, anatomy, but also, like, what is or isn't, you know, the right teeth or the right claws or, like, I was like... Too many monsters in Supernatural are human-shaped, but, like, if there are (laughs) monsters that are less human-shaped, can we get some taxidermy? Do you think that they do that? (laughs) Monster taxidermy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just, I would just like to remind everyone that it's canon that Dean's not a fan of taxidermists. Uh, I feel like that's important. <laughs> I Carlos, feel like Dean Carlos, would have made Carlos, the same joke um, that Carlos, Carlos made. Coded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carlos is like, I'm not here for this. But yeah, I really liked Anton. I was really, when we, okay, like before Anton even opened himself, like as we were walking in, I was like, oh no, is this another Latha love interest storyline? Because she's had more love interests than like potential love interest storylines than anyone else without like any without any like follow-through for any of them just a lot of like will they nope it's just kind of been like Latha has attraction towards people and then they're gone and it's just like okay we're moving on that wasn't important and so I was like oh no not another one and then Carlos and Anton like looked at each other and oh no we're going (laughs) other direction I misread this situation really glad that they didn't just like that the they're not just confirming that Carlos is bisexual through like him Dialogue. talking about being attracted to men or like him referencing it or it being kind of subtle. Like I appreciate that they actually like brought in a male love interest for him and it actually had them go on a date and not just like yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't it's not subtext. Like I appreciate that it's, it's like no subtext. very specifically it is abundantly clear. <laughs> they use the word flirting. They yeah. go out, they like decide to go on a date at the end. Like, yeah. It's explicit and it's great. Yeah. But yes, I would like to know more about Anton and his family business that he's running and how he knows Latha and I would like to know more. I would like to see the two of them, Carlos and Anton, interact in a future episode after they've gone on some date. And regardless of how it goes, I would like to see. I would know just for like experimental purposes, like to see John and Anton interact just to see, (laughs) just to see what happens. Just to like. For science. All three of them. Okay, another point, which I mean, is another line that Carlos has early in the episode when John is getting all huffy about like doing the Akrita hunt um and Carlos says uh Melo Amor which mm-hmm. is a very interesting line I for him to say to John well that several times I'm like did I hear that I didn't hear it correctly the first time I saw someone on Twitter talking about it and then I went back and I was like oh that is what he said <laughs> it's the, the first time and then Amor the second time I was like 
what is happening? And then that happens to like two seconds late before later on when Mary says, Carlos, I'm not the only one who is worried about you, John. Everyone is, especially Carlos. Yep. I want to, this is a bit of a turn. I want to point out one line that made me laugh really hard, made both me and my partner laugh really hard. And that is, I'm sorry, tall, dark, and angry can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> I was like, is this a second Taylor Swift reference? <laughs> <laughs> I also thought yep. that, um, if there was that one, and then right at the end of the episode, Mary's like, maybe Alyssa Locks and Sensor, and then Carlos goes, John, sons, don't Doubtful. <laughs> Actually, there were a couple of really great, like, moments this episode. I also particularly liked when they get out of the van at Tracy's farm and Carlos is immediately like, you could grow so much weed out here. Like, <laughs> put those little heart yeah. sunglasses. Oh, so cute. And then yeah. John's all like, John's all like, Carlos. He's that, like, that had big Sam Jean vibes. That's what that yeah. was. Like, shut up. That's not appropriate to say. You can't say those things. That's not appropriate. Oh, I will say... In the van, when John is, like, quoting Carlos back at them, but in, like, you know, a jokey way, like, oh, oh the only thing so worse than how it starts. Is how it, it, it made me think of the Spongebob <laughs> meme, you know, where, like, he's got his hands on his hips and everything's in, like, <laughs> half lowercase, half uppercase. Like, <laughs> that's just, like, how please, it felt. Please make up that meme and post it on our social media. that can be our we'll we'll put that with like when we do the episode announcement instead of having like the normal beautiful graphic from elena we'll just have a spongebob meme (laughs) (laughs) i did also love john using the fire extinguisher i just thought that was funny like just not not just hitting with it but spraying it (laughs) yeah i love that it worked like i was like sure that sure Sure, I don't even care if it's realistic. Sure. I just love extinguisher fighting duo because Mary is the poker and John is the extinguisher. (laughs) Oh my god, it's like a sword and shield analogy. Yeah. (laughs) A sword and shield in my supernatural? (laughs) A sword and shield analogy with two characters? Adds another thing to the list of Destiel references in this episode. Oh, Oh god. I also really uh, thought it was really funny. It's another just like line that I really liked was when at the end, when John sits down to meditate and with Lata and she is like, you know, tells him to sit down and then he like puts his hand out over mm-hmm. the like candle and he's like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then pulls his hands back. I didn't catch it the first time. I didn't hear what he said. The second time I did and I was like, tiny idiot. I would not be surprised to learn that Drake maybe thought this was a fake candle and it turned out to be a real and candle. And that that's an improv line. <laughs> I it, it did read a little bit like that and I loved it for that. It felt very like a real thing that a character kind of in it was kind of an endearing moment for John. Which yeah. like the first watch through of this episode, I was so mad at John. The second watch through, I was more compassionate and empathetic, but the first watch through I was really angry. And so I liked his funny lines. I didn't enjoy as much the second time I enjoyed them a lot more yeah I I don't think that this was meant to be an episode where we were mad at John I mean we can be mad at future John always but like I think that considering the circumstances that we currently find ourselves in and what John <laughs> currently knows uh like up to this point yeah like he yes he's a little bit obsessive but he's not so obsessive that it's unreasonable and he's in a dark place but he's got PTSD and he's in a dark situation it's not that's not why I was upset at him I was upset because of the way he treats Mary that's I was fair. really upset that's about fair. that I was like I was that's where I was like 
mad is maybe the wrong word for the emotions I felt the first time. The first time I was very disconcerted with the way that he treated yeah. Mary. And the yeah, second time I was totally still had valid. those feelings, but I also appreciated some of the more humorous moments and I felt more, I think more compassion for him the second. Yeah, I think. It's complex as feelings about John in general. As much as John is possessive of Mary, I do still think that there is some angel influence happening there. Um, oh yeah, I don't, I think don't doubt that. Silly as well. Also, I just think that like a lot like Sam, John has a addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's prone to like addiction and obsessive behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. just don't think he can help it. Like I just think that that's just how he is about people, and I don't I... think he. I disagree with the he can't help it piece because uh, yeah think he that could help it he could definitely help it <laughs> but I do agree with you that he's like prone I think he's yeah. very prone to that and we're that's what we're seeing and I'm like that I think is good character development that's his natural tendency is yeah. towards that and I think that same is true of Sam oh absolutely and I don't have a problem with that I actually like that characterization I think it's a really powerful yeah one. yeah I don't think we're supposed to be comfortable with it yeah, no. and I think this episode did a good job of, like, making me feel complexly about John, even yeah. across multiple watches, where I was like, I feel a lot of things. This episode and episode four have mm-hmm. been exactly, for John, what I was hoping and praying this show would be like. Because we were all worried yes. that it would end up being, like, John apologies to me, or, like, you know, trying to paint John as this you know, this good guy who like, you know, just made some mistakes. And like, we were like, no, we really want to actually see John for the complex character that he is. Mm -hmm. And we want to understand the progression from, you know, how he sort of starts off as this civilian. I mean, not really civilian. He was, you know, a vet, but, you know, and in how he became the John we knew. And I think that this episode and particularly episode four have done a phenomenal job of that exact thing where we're seeing John who is like a relatively like nice normal-ish guy if you take out the like supernatural elements you know and Mm -hmm. then the way that he doesn't have appropriate coping mechanisms and he doesn't have he's like refusing like therapy and he's refusing these practices that would make it easier for him to deal with these horrible traumatic things that he has gone through and I think that the way that they're telling the story is really clever because it doesn't paint him as this black and white villain it paints him as a complex traumatized human being who is trying but is ultimately kind of failing and is making choices and I think they like do a great job of like making him responsible for his choices yeah well not well still acknowledging that his choices are shaped by his experiences acknowledging that it is not easy what he is going through he is deeply traumatized but also not letting him off the hook yeah or the fact that he is doing things like refusing support refusing therapy refusing to talk Mm -hmm. refusing to make new different or try to make different choices like they're showing that interplay in a very powerful way yeah, and I'm actually really impressed at how well yeah. they have managed because we had yeah. quite high, not high expectations, I suppose, but for the for the characterization, our standards for what we wanted for John. This was yeah. what, for me at least personally, what was going to make or break this series. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. and I it, think they're doing a great job. Like, I think they're making it and not breaking it. Like, yeah, and I'm quite impressed by that because I wasn't sure that was going to be the case. And yeah. I'm also very impressed. I'm I've been impressed with everyone's performances, but I am really impressed by Drake's. Uh, like hands down, I think the fact that we can look at 
his portrayal of John and have moments where we're like, oh, that's Sam or oh, that's Dean or oh, that's Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. Kudos to him. I think that that they really cast him very well. On top of writing it well, they've cast him really well. Drake isn't Drake. I was super blown away by Drake in this episode. Like, I think he blows I'm out of the park. Really like, so good. Looking forward to us learning how this all ties into the young John that we know who's not involved in hunting. Yeah. I'm very interested in seeing where this is all going to tie together. Yeah. I think they've got a long way to go to like bring it to what we know of John. But I like that it doesn't feel impossible that they're going to get there in a satisfying way. There's some things and some people we don't have in this episode. The first one is Ada. Ada's not here. Millie's mm-hmm. not here. And again, no mention of the fact that she's not there. She's just not. Again, it's so weird with the last episode. I guess she could potentially still be driving with uh, Tony. Yeah. Maybe. That's probably what we're supposed to assume. I, I just was like, she's go- she's gone this week and I don't really miss her. Like, I'm going to take note that she's not here, but like. I get it. I think it's somewhat, and also I think, honestly, last episode did a bit of a disservice because yeah. it was so disconnected, it felt so disconnected, and that I, yeah, I really didn't miss her character this week. Lava says that the Akrita box isn't working, and I'm like, have we tried it again? I think we've actually seen it since episode two. We haven't talked about it in a few episodes even. They did talk about it a little bit, but I, yeah, we haven't, we just haven't seen it. We just, I think it's just no new information, I think. Who knows? Maybe it's one of those things where it's like we're supposed to assume it's happening off screen yeah. that they're like doing experiments or whatever. That's my that's what my assumption yeah. was. And honestly, like maybe it also is because like I don't not that I don't care about the accrued ends up, but I don't care. I forgot yeah. that the box existed. I was like, oh, this is a box thing from the pilot. That was the whole like pilot thing. That's how that was a big here. deal. <laughs> I feel like maybe that now that they know what they're up against, they could maybe look into any other potential ways other than this one weapon that they don't really understand and can't actually make work like surely last week's episode was the first time that they actually came in contact with an agreed i'm like okay we didn't really have a lot of opportunity to try it but like we could try the box again like on an akrita doing the thing that it's supposed to do i'm like we yeah, did we try that <laughs> i wonder Maybe if it's just... just like the box is full because it's got the demon in it like do they just have to like that's what i sort empty of the demon is it like a vacuum bag and you just have to like you know bang it out in the trash a couple times and then it's good <laughs> to go you have to take out the remains of the dead what demon. else is in there <laughs> that's my that was actually my other question with that box is does it kill them does yeah. it contain them does it store like, them is this a ghost bus is this a ghostbuster situation because that's the thing it reminds me of every time i think about it as a rich yeah if they let the demon out is it dead or is it alive in the pilot i think that it they say that it sucks them in and kills like whatever gets sucked in but they don't actually explain the mechanics of that and theoretically they don't actually have a way to know that i think it'd be yeah. really funny if samuel is in the box like, because you know how he gets caught, like, as he's, like, yeah, trying to run away. Like, what yeah. if they put him in the box and then they just put it back in the lair and he's just been oh, in I there, like, little clubhouse funny. this whole time? I think that'd be very, very that funny. Be I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Samuel's just been, like, banging on the inside of the box for four episodes, just being like, I'm in here. Yeah. That's why it's not working is because he's turned it off from the inside. Cause yeah. Like, oh my god. Yes. Because he's like, I don't want to have any more roommates, guys. I, <laughs> like, I don't. I don't want an Akrita in here. Like, that'd yeah. be bad. <laughs> the box actually kills monsters because there's a little hunter that lives inside the box. We just know nothing about the box. I was just like, wow. Okay, we're bringing up the box for the first time in four episodes, and like, I was like, we just—it felt really important. 
on episodes one and two, and now we're on episode six. This is the first time we're talking about it. I wonder if the warding and like stuff that they use or the mechanisms of the box is similar to like the Malik box. It probably is something. It's the Mena letters, you know. But we do have a location on where the Akrita yeah. are slash where Roxy is slash where the radio signal is. I don't know how close you used to have to be to a radio tower back in the day. Like how close did the radio tower have to be to the station? Like, And we don't really know anything else. Like that kind of is just how the episode ends. It's like now it's just sort of a lead up. Just to give us a, a, next week's episode looks very intense. So I guess it's not really next week. The next episode. Because next week's episode is the mid-season finale. And they did say, and they've been saying this whole time, and we've mentioned also a couple of times yeah. as well, is that the second half of the season is supposed to be where it really like and kicks up a notch. Episode seven is like where it kicks off, and we're supposed to get Henry back. Like we're getting Gil McKinney as Henry Winchester. Yes, I'm back, so excited so. for that. Not in the promo, surprisingly, but <laughs> and apparently some other you know returning characters, yes. returning actors. So I think it's going to be a really interesting because I honestly have been really impressed with this first half. Um, mm. barring other it's than crazy one we're halfway yeah like as of next episode which is going to be yeah. in two weeks so maybe i'll just say this now so we don't forget but we will not have an episode next week so we will not be releasing an episode of wayward parents next week but we will be back in two weeks after 107 which is called reflections so 107 reflections it all adds up the hunt heats up and mary and john find trails that lead back to their fathers Carlos helps Mary investigate where the Acredo might be hiding, but they discover more than they bargained for. Meanwhile, Millie steps in to step Lata, Ada, and John to decipher notes left behind, and they stumble upon a way to get some answers. And it is going to be uh, directed by John Showalter and written by David Goodman and Robbie Thompson. Interesting that they're going to find, they'll find leads to both Henry and Samuel in the same episode. That's a lot. That's heavy. And I think they're going to be connecting those. I think I'm yeah. hoping that that means they're going to be connecting those two plot lines. And that the the they're not independent. They're actually like there's 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 ties, which would bring be interesting again with like angels and destiny and everything. If like there's ties between their parents that also contribute to not not an accident that they ran into other to each other in front of the movie theater. Yeah, and uh, David H. Goodman, uh, who like co-wrote that episode with Robbie Thompson, like he wrote he wrote episode two as well. So. Like, we're getting returning writing and returning directing back. Yeah, I can't say that we can say very much from the promo, yeah. honestly. Like, there's not a lot. Fast moving. A lot of promo. running and fighting. A lot of running and fighting. We obviously get them to interact with Roxy. That, like, okay. It's going to be cool. I also noticed there was a police car in the background, so, like, maybe Betty. Oh, Betty. Okay. I mean, there is Roxy in the police car behind them, so. Mid-season finale good time to be bringing in kind of like our whole cast of important characters that we've gotten to yeah. know like millie's millie we know for sure millie's back and and it sounds like millie's gonna find out all about the Akrita and what they've been doing which i'm super into yeah i wonder if we're gonna get any more about deanna too if we're gonna find samuel like i yeah i see that we're gonna at least get an answer about where he might be like where samuel might be It'd be nice if we could at least have Mary get in contact with Deanna, even if she doesn't actually appear. I think we're getting a possession of some kind based on that promo. And I think Samuel's the most likely person for that to be. Like, I think when they meet Samuel, it's not actually going to be Samuel. 
or it's not fully going to be Samuel. That's my prediction based on the promo and the information. Not be surprised if Samuel is a victim of this Akrita possession thing because, like, we know that Samuel got attacked by the Akrita, and we know that the Akrita can do this possession thing, so that wouldn't surprise me. Maybe we're gonna get an answer about the essence. There's some like red test tubes, and I'm like, I think that might be the thing that Roxy's been collecting from the monsters. But like, maybe we're gonna get an answer about a what they're doing with it, b what it is. Some sort of answer there would be nice as well. Like, but it seems like we're maybe gonna finally get some answers. Like, every episode has been leaving us with more questions at this point. It would be nice if we get a few answers. We don't need all the answers, but like. We're halfway through the show. We can get something. Yeah, this feels like it's going to be main plot significant and it's just mm-hmm. going to be like a main plot episode. I don't think we're going to be getting too many like B plots. I think it's just going no. to be like the yeah. main threads. Like it's going to be where's like what happened to Henry? Where's Samuel? What are the Akrita? I would be shocked if they try and put too much more into a 40 minute And I episode. hope they don't honestly because I think it will detract from it. I think there's going to be a lot going on and a lot of characters. The fact that we have Henry and the fact that the episode's called Reflections, I am expecting flashbacks of Henry and Millie's life. I think that's the most likely way that they're going to be bringing in Gil. I, honestly, I'm excited. I'm really yeah. excited. Um, so if you want to follow us on social media for show updates, we are on Twitter at Wayward Parents and on Tumblr at Wayward Parents Podcast. Yeah, we post all of our show updates there, and particularly on our Tumblr, we reblog all of the GIF sets and meta from fans and theories and all that, so feel free to come on there, have some fun clowning with us. We're also Wayward Parents on TikTok. I'm going to be posting on the TikTok yes, this week, yes, for sure. Yes, that's our new, our new social media account. <laughs> We're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can join us in two weeks for our next episode, and yeah. send us theories or thoughts on anything that we've talked about so far. Yeah, if you have theories that we missed or connections we haven't made, we always want to hear them. I think that's it for today. (laughs) 